get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part is the data is verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you are being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, they are the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address your concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiations. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you are a seasoned attending or just finishing training, Resolve is here to support you every step of the way. Visit resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review negotiations and salary data. Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Krause explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Welcome to Financial Residency, Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. We focus on topics that matter to physicians. We bring on trusted guests who are experts in their respective fields to educate you on a wide variety of topics. If you have an idea for a future show, please email me at Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. Today, our focus will be helping first-time physician homebuyers navigate this competitive housing market. We will talk about how to secure the right loan for you. Our guest is Doug Krause, who has been a physician mortgage lender for nearly 20 years. He's also my husband. We wrote a book together to help physicians who are first-time home buyers. This will actually be a two-part series, and I hope you'll join us for both shows. Welcome to the show, Doug. Hey, thanks for having me. HippocraticHouse.com, you can request your free copy. And as Tammy said, we wrote this together. kind of gives the doctor's perspective as well as mine, having previously sold real estate and doing loans for 20 years kind of gives you a well-rounded version of everything that you would want from the realtor to the closing all the way up to, you know, what to expect down to what do I need to get qualified? Gotcha. And can you say that website once again, where they can get a free book? Hippocratichouse.com. You can also find a copy or request it at dubkraus.com, which will have my cell phone, email address, and then a link to apply for a mortgage as well. My cell phone's 816-728-3631. 
My email address is doug.kraus at bmo.com. All of that again on dougkraus.com. Okay. Well, let's start out by first talking about the housing market. It's just been a crazy ride for the last couple of years with housing prices going up. Now mortgage rates are going up. Can you give us your perspective on this? Well, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to improve anytime soon. I don't have the gloom and doom that some people do that rates are going to seven or eight by the end of the year. I do see them going up a little bit. We've had quite a bit of a run in the last couple months that I think to finish out the year probably won't be as ugly as the last couple months. The downside, I think, will be house prices. I think everybody's expecting, you know, as rates go up a bit, we're going to see prices cool down or even pull back. And I just don't think that's going to happen. And my reasoning for that is threefold. One, you've got a much smaller pool of builders building from the last housing crisis in 2010 through 2012. As the builders went bankrupt, nobody came back to replace them. You've got kids, well, I call them kids, but people our kids' age that didn't buy back around that time frame that are all coming to the market to buy now, along with everybody else that normally would be buying. So you've got too many buyers, you've got too few of sellers. And then add to all that, you've also got cash investors that are just buying up everything they can get a hold of to rent just because the rate of return is really good. So between the three, I think we're five to seven years before we see prices possibly retract from where they've reached a peak. So hopefully we don't see 20% year over year appreciation for another couple of years, but you know, I still think we're looking at five to 10%, even as things cool off. Well, let's kind of focus on the general steps to buying a house. The first being, how do you know if it's the right time for you to buy a house? Well, I mean, I think based on what I just said, you know, if you're going to be someplace for a couple of years, it's probably the right time to buy. If it was one year, then there's definitely an argument to be made and also affordability. I mean, just because you're going to be someplace two or three years doesn't mean it's the right time to buy if you don't have any money or, you know, if the price of housing is going to far outpace what you can rent something for. But the problem with waiting, if you can afford to buy, is the house today that costs 500000 if you wait a year to buy it and say you wanted to save 10%, 50,000, next year the house might be 600,000 even after you've saved $50,000, now you have to borrow 550 just to buy the same house. So you're going to be twofold. Rates are going to be higher and you're going to be borrowing more money. So chances are if you can get into a house now, it's probably the right time to buy. And luckily for physicians, banks like to loan them money. So there's options to do no money down, no PMI. So really you can't afford to save money fast enough. Gotcha. Once you have decided to buy a house, how would you know how much that you might qualify for? Good question. So that's the key. I think the biggest mistake people make is talking to the realtor first. And the reason that's a problem is once you talk to the realtor, you're gung-ho to go buy. The realtor gets you excited and then you go out and you're ready to make an offer on something and you haven't done your homework with the lender first. So the worst thing that you can do is go out and fall in love with a $700,000 house, 
come back to talk to me the next day and find out that, hey, I can only afford 550. Now you're going to be really disappointed when you start looking at cheaper houses, not to mention, you know, again, you go out and look at a house and you're ready to make an offer on it. You then don't have a pre-approval or a pre-call letter to make that offer. So the first place you should always start is with the lender. Gotcha. And you mentioned pre-qualification versus pre-approval. What's the difference between the two? So pre-qualification would be fill out an online application. We're going to pull credit. We're going to review it. We're going to probably verify income and then make a decision based on that at my level that, you know, things look good and you're going to get approved. A pre-approval, we're going to collect absolutely everything, bank statements, last two years tax returns, verify your previous rent history. It goes to the underwriter and that process generally takes about a week. So about 90% of the country, if pre-qualification is good enough, and that's what most people use to buy a house, but certain markets like Washington, California, even parts of Arizona, realtors are adamant that if you don't have a pre-approval, your offer is just not going to get looked at the same. So depends on where you're at, location specific, if you need a pre-approval or pre-qual. Pre-qual would probably put you in a status of you can close in 30 days, where a pre-approval, if you can get an appraisal fast enough, might cut that time frame down by a week if you've already been through a full underwrite. But it doesn't matter if you come and say, I want to do a pre-approval and then close in three weeks. You have to have the pre-approval done first and then go find a house. That then might let you close in three weeks, where pre-qualification is probably still going to take around 30 days. All right. So now we've decided that we want to buy a house. We've got our pre-approval letter saying that we qualify for X amount of dollars. How would you go about finding a realtor? And what kind of questions should you ask to make sure they're going to represent you in the right way? You know, one thing that you want for sure is a realtor that's, hate to say it, everybody's new in the business at some point, but especially if you're buying a million dollar house, you don't want a realtor that as a rule sells $200,000 houses. Just the same as, you know, you don't want a cardiologist that's helping diagnose cancer. I mean, same principle goes for your realtor. You want somebody that knows your market and you want somebody that has sold more than a couple houses. So a good place to start is either with your hospital recruiter. If you're moving someplace you don't know, you might talk to your lender. We know a lot of realtors around the country because I do loans everywhere. So I've worked with a lot of realtors could refer you to somebody that I've worked with in the past, or talk to some of your new coworkers as you are in that interview process, maybe ask them like, who did you use and get introduced to a realtor that way as well. You said that you work with a lot of realtors. Have you come across some realtors that have maybe given some bad advice to their clients that you've nicely tried to correct? Yeah. So part of what I don't like, what I'm seeing in the market right now is realtors asking buyers because they want to compete with cash offers to waive contingencies. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes, but you can always put limitations on it. So people need to understand and just having a real estate background myself, you shouldn't be making no appraisal contingency at all. Because if you make an offer on a house for 800,000 and just completely waive your contingency, if the thing appraises for 650, you're basically agreeing that I'll bring the other 150,000 to closing or you can keep my earnest money. And the earnest money just keeps escalating to the point where 
now realtors are saying they're not going to consider your offer if you don't give them 15 or 20 or $25,000. It's a lot of money to put on the line where you could put an appraisal gap, say of whatever you're comfortable with. But let's say on that $800,000 purchase, if you're thinking it's going to appraise for at least $750,000, then say you'll cover the first $50,000, but don't just leave yourself wide open that if it doesn't appraise anywhere close that you're now in the basically a pickle. You either have to come up with 150,000 or you have to give them your earnest money. Gotcha. So on that $800,000 house, if it appraised for 650,000, you're saying on the contract for the offer letter, it should say something along the lines of if the house appraises for up to 750,000, then we'll cover the difference. Yeah. And you're basically saying you'll waive your appraisal contingency up to whatever you're comfortable with. Essentially, it's going to be 100% financing. If the house appraises for $750,000, even though you're buying it for $800,000, we'll loan $750,000, but that's going to be 100% financing, even though you're bringing $50,000 to the closing. Some of the questions you should ask your realtor is, you know, again, how many transactions did you do last year? What was your average sale price? How many buyers did you represent? You know, probably wouldn't even hurt just to know up front, ask them if they charge transaction fees. I mean, doesn't amount to a lot, but at the same time, they're already getting paid probably 3%. So transaction fee, you know, if you really like them, then it's probably not that big a deal to pay them an additional $495, but that's negotiable for sure. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask. And what kind of steps are involved in making an offer? So again, the very first step should be get pre-approved or pre-qualified with your lender, get your pre-approval or pre-qual letter, meet with your realtor, inspect the house, you know, decide this is the one you want to make an offer on. And then from there, decide with your realtor what you think a fair price is, make your offer. Usually you're going to give them 24 hours to respond. And this market, unfortunately, you're probably also competing against five to 20 other offers. So just go into it being prepared that don't fall in love with any one house to the point where if you don't get that, you know, there's always going to be another one. True. And then once you've made the offer and they accepted your offer, what type of time frame would be typically between the offer and actually getting the keys to the house? It's very driven by the appraisal because there's a shortage of appraisers, but usually 30 days. If it's a really hot market where you're already pre-approved, then you might be able to close in three weeks, but it's just not reasonable to expect to close the same as a cash buyer would in two weeks because they don't have to get an appraisal. Even if you're waiving your appraisal contingency, the bank still wants the appraisal. So you have to have it. And that might take a week. It might take three weeks. So it's always safer to say 30 days, but I understand, you know, certain markets to be competitive, you might have to do three weeks, but again, can't do three weeks if you're not already fully pre-approved, if you're just starting from scratch. So make your offer based on that and don't put your earnest money at risk either. That if you don't have a seller that's going to be willing to work with you, that if you put a super short appraisal contingency, then you're basically putting yourself back in. Even if you put the $50,000 gap that you would cover, if the appraisal doesn't make it back in time, now you've got to make a decision of now I've got to either back out or go ahead and waive my appraisal contingency because I didn't get it in time. Gotcha. Sounds like a pretty risky market in some ways right now. It is. Well, 
Like I said earlier, we're going to actually have a two-part series. And so next time we'll focus more on the actual types of loans that are available to physicians. Do you want to tell us how to get in touch with you again in case anyone has questions and they want to reach out to you? Sure. Again, you can get a copy of the book. It's free. We give about 10, 12 copies a day at this point. Hippocratichouse.com for a copy of it. All of my contact info is on my landing page, dougkraus.com. That's got my email, my phone number, an application link. It even has all of my team's contact info and their cell phones as well. Great. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Doug Kraus, for being on the show. And I'd also like to thank all of you for listening. We strive to bring you the information that you want most to help you reach your professional and financial goals. If you have an idea for a podcast or a topic in the future, please email me at Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y, at financialresidency.com. I hope to see you next week on Financial Residency, Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. 